Welcome to City Arts and Lectures, a season of talks and onstage conversations with some of the most celebrated writers, artists, and thinkers of our day, recorded before an audience at the Sydney Goldstein Theatre in San Francisco. This week, a conversation with two of the creators of Ear Hustle, the first podcast made and produced in a prison. The show features stories of life inside California's San Quentin State Prison, shared by those living it. Ear Hustle was launched in 2017. At the time, Erlon Woods was an inmate at San Quentin. Just this past year, his sentence was commuted. Now Woods co-hosts the show from outside the prison walls, along with Nigel Poor, a well-respected photographer whose experience teaching inside prison changed the focus of her practice. Today, Poor spends the majority of her time focused on and working alongside the incarcerated. On November 19, 2020, the two spoke to Alexis Madrigal about the making of the latest season of Ear Hustle and how their close collaboration has developed over the years. Join us now for a conversation with Ear Hustle's Erlon Woods and Nigel Poor. Hello and welcome to City Arts and Lectures. My name is Alexis Madrigal. I'm a staff writer at The Atlantic, co-founder of the COVID Tracking Project. And I am here really as a fan tonight. Um, I don't know how many of you listen to Ear Hustle, the podcast. Probably if you're watching this, you're listening to it, you you're into it. You've heard of it. Um, Ear Hustle is like a meteor. It is a rare kind of media that is actually in genuine conversation with incarcerated people and not just trying to exploit them. Um, it's brilliant. It's sad. It's funny. And the two hosts of this show absolutely make this thing work. Um, they are Nigel Poor, an artist. Uh, and now a, a podcaster, uh, and Erlon Woods, who began the show uh, while he was still on the inside and has continued the show now that he's out here uh, running the streets. So um, please join me in welcoming them in your own house. You know, you should be hooting and hollering, cheering if we were live on stage. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it'd be a standing ovation to begin. So I want to go back uh Six years, right? It was six years. I'm I'm bad with numbers. No, well, no, no. Seven years. Tw- four, four. Oh, you're Ear adding. Hustle itself, Ear hustle itself about four. Four, four years. Okay, four yeah. years. Three to okay. four. Four years. But, but yeah, but it'll be six eventually. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so go back to let's go back to the start of the okay. show. Let's go back to the start of of the show. Um, you know, Nigel, you were uh, best known as an artist. Airline, you were on the inside. I want to hear a little bit about your pre-ear hustle lives. Like, what what were you up to before you you started making this, this particular brilliant work? Yeah. Well, um, as you said, I'm a, I'm a visual artist. I'm a photographer. I was also I also am a professor. I teach at California State University Sacramento. So I was very involved in the visual art world. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I love audio, but I'd never made one, and I never actually thought I would make one. Um, I started volunteering inside San Quentin in 2011 as a volunteer professor through the Prison University Project. So that's how I got in there. Um, And I did that for about three semesters. And I slowly got to know more guys inside the prison and eventually worked my way into the media lab. 
where I met this guy. What were you doing? Oh, time. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, I think, you know, um, for those, well, I was doing a lot for all those years, but in, in that, in that time, I would just say at San Quentin, uh, they had a media center and I used to be in the media center. I used to be in there making videos for the institution, whether it was following graduations or whether it was trying to do PSAs for the community. Uh, that's what we were involved in in San Quentin. And when Nigel came over to the media center, that's when, you know, we start doing audio recordings. So up until, up until that point, I was just in the media center doing media stuff. What's the media center look like? in San Quentin. Oh, it looks like a, what would you say, a warehouse? It, it looks like a warehouse. Like it used to be the laundry, the laundry facility. So it's, it's a inside, it's all concrete, um, concrete floors. It has a drop ceiling, which sometimes birds fly in there. Yes. And when it rains, you've got to cover up all the equipment so that it doesn't get wet. And there used to be, you used to hear pipes all the time. Remember? Yeah, we had to, steam, some steam, yeah, steam sounds. And then that's just our side. But then you have the side we was on. You have the San Quentin news side. Yeah, close enough to the oh, my bad. you have the San Quentin news side to where uh, it was more of just an open space with desks and computer. Yeah. I mean, we say media lab and it sounds like it was really impressive. But, <laughs> but it was a little conglomerate. The work going on in there was impressive, for sure, because there was, a, as you said, the San Quentin News, radio, right. video, and ear hustle. But the facility itself was hmm, Yeah, you also yeah, you had first watch. So you had, oh, yeah, yeah, you had a lot of there. different ventures in there. So how did you end up making ear hustle, though? I mean, where did this idea, where airline, you go to Nigel, Nigel, you go to airline, Radiotopia, because it's part of this other network, they come to you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we were working on a radio project together with some other guys inside the prison and doing stories for KLW, which is a local public radio station. And it was, it was really great. Um, but I just found myself wanting to do different kinds of stories that weren't really in the, it's sort of like not journalism, but storytelling from an artist's perspective. And so, um, I had met Erlon. I thought he'd be great to work with. So I proposed to him and uh, that we think about doing this. He didn't know what a podcast was, but he said yes anyway. <laughs> and <Indeed. Ella>. yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the things I find funny as a fan of the show, you know, going back and listening to the early episodes, if you would have told me that Erlon had done radio for like 10 years and Nigel, you were the one who was newer at it. I felt like in the early days, I mean, the match is so perfect, but it almost felt like Erlon just instantly took to the the role of, of show host. And I feel like maybe I'm wrong, Nigel, but I feel like it took you uh, maybe like a few episodes or even the first season to kind of feel comfortable the first in that season? role. No, no maybe sorry. not. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Not <laughs> sorry, Alexis. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's part of, I, I actually think it's part of the, the dramatic tension of the show actually is sort of like Nigel coming in and, 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 learning how to how to do this show you know well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna push back a little bit there um because we both had to learn how to do the show together neither neither of us really had the experience and i think that was one of the bonding the really bonding things about doing the podcast is that we started here and we rose together um and i i really stand behind that um because I didn't go in as somebody who knew how to do this. Erlon didn't, Erlon didn't come to it as someone who knew how to do it. We had to support each other um, and, and make the 
you know, make the dream of the podcast come alive through our hard work and equal partnership. And we weren't the only people. Antoine Williams, who also started the project with us, um, was there and, and, and other people. But we really we really did start it together and and grow together. Maybe maybe you think he sounded better. That's fine. I'll, I'll accept <laughs> no. that. I'll accept that. But no, um, <laughs> I, I go back. I listen to those episodes. We both sound <laughs> like, stiff. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, well, it's funny cuz now the the most recent ones the the bond is so strong. I could just listen to you talk even if it wasn't you could talk about anything. It's just the it, the the dynamic is so solid between you two uh, on the show as media. It's it's a uh, it's wonderful. It's very comforting actually for, for me during these times. You know? I think what, what do you think the closet the closet was different. I can say that. <laughs> when we started recording when the we closet. We had to record yeah. the closet that was like different because usually we're in the yeah. same room and we're clowning with each other. And it was it was definitely different. It is because a lot of the narration that we do, yes, some of it is scripted, but a lot of it is improvisational. And when we're together, I think we work off of each other really well. I mean, it, it, what he's talking about is when COVID started, we had to do it from our closets in, you know, over Zoom like this. And I think that definitely took some time to get used to. But when we're next to each other um, in the studio recording, I always say that's my happiest time. I love when we're doing that. Yeah, we'd be in there and, hanging out. Yeah. And even though we're, t- you know, sometimes we're talking about really painful and difficult things, there's still a great joy in doing it together. Even when it's a difficult topic, um, somehow we just, we push each other in the right way. You know, during those years, Nigel, how did your art change? Um, because of this work? Uh, it changed significantly. I, mean, I was a solo practitioner. I didn't really collaborate with other people. I spent lots and lots of time alone in my studio, um, mostly doing photographic work. So for me, the big change was to learn how to collaborate with other people and to not have control over everything and to learn to listen um, and see how minds coming together could make something better than a single, than, a, than one person working. So I barely am in my studio anymore. I mean, I feel bad. I have a beautiful studio. My husband uses it now, but I just, I barely do any visual work. This, I, I really think of the podcast is as an art piece. Um, and so I put all of that energy and intent into, into working, yeah. working with Erlon. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm a call Rick. That's the man cave. You know, Erlon, you, uh, in my estimation, have this really incredible gift of inviting people into the real human realities of, of incarceration. Was that something that like you knew you had already that like you, or did you discover that as, as once no, you got I on think, the mic? I think, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a, um, a team effort you know it was like i didn't go to san quentin to say i'm gonna start a podcast uh i didn't none of that like i always always tell people like when i used to call home collect and i used to you had to say your name you know and i'd be like erlon and you know when they pick up and i hear my own name it'd be like erlon (laughs) so i never really tripped off my voice never tripped off none of that you know so i didn't i didn't go there with that in mind so i i I think it just happened. I think we, I mean, looking at it in retrospect, I can say, okay, maybe it was destined, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it was, it was what it is, you know, and, and we've come from different backgrounds and we created something that the, you know, people in the world appreciated. So um, I think it happens like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I think people ask us about our relationship a lot, and I think it's hard to explain exactly why it works, um, but it does. I mean, we we push each other, we make each other laugh, we both have the same kind of work ethic, um, and we listen to each other's um, on thoughts on the on whatever process we're trying to work with. So, and also, Robinson never thought we would win. Oh yeah, Lieutenant Robinson, who has so. to come up, he's the the public information officer at San Quentin. We always laugh because. Um, he let us apply for this uh, Radiotopia podcast, which is how we ended up um, having a podcast played outside the prison. And after we won, he did tell us he let us apply because he thought we would never win. Uh, and that is the other thing that I think helps us is people underestimate us a lot. And they don't know how how um, tenacious we are with our plans. <laughs> yeah, we just, like you say, have your heads down and just think it out, yeah. you know. Yeah. So tell me about the uh, evolution of the production of the podcast, um, in those, uh, early years, were you just heading in there with just a couple of microphones and going into that, you know, media lab and, and going around talking with people on the yard? Like how, how, how did it actually work? Like the production in the, in the early years? Well, Erlen, what did you think a podcast would be? So I thought a podcast would be just like this. We just sit here and just talk. You know what I'm saying? Like just everything is good and we done, you know, but then what I found out is that in order to make 23 minutes out of six hours of tape, that was, that was, I was like, oh, I thought it was easy. Yeah. And it wasn't as easy as I thought. Yeah. When we started, we would, we, we would do interviews. We, we, we got um, in the media lab, we had, you know, our microphones set up, we would bring people in. We didn't even know what questions we were going to ask. We didn't plan before. We would just invite people in and start talking. Um, so we didn't know you were supposed to have questions beforehand. Um, we didn't really know how much editing and writing was involved. So at first it was, you know, it was pretty rough. We just, we just would come up with an idea, uh, start doing interviews and then start editing things down. Once we won the pod quest contest with Radiotopia and PRX, we got an editor that started helping us. And then we learned how many people actually are part of making this work. So um, we had an editor, we had other guys inside that would help us collect audio. Um, now we have producers that help us. So it's really, it's grown. I, I've made one short run podcast. And one of the things that happened to me is uh, I got obsessed with microphones because, it, you know, suddenly you realize like uh, a sound recording is not a sound recording is not a sound recording, right? I mean, you you get in there and you record a room with one mic. It sounds totally different than a, a room with with another mic or um, directional microphones. Did did that happen to you all? Were you just sort of more focused on <laughs> this guy's the tech dude? Yeah, he loves I mean, it. You, you hear it. You, I remember. Like, so get closer to the microphone, oh, tech see, dude. See, see, I'm I'm away from it right now. But I re I remember when they used to be like, "Man, just get some room tone," you know, and you think that it's just some tone of a room and you're not tripping, but you know, you're not thinking that it's the room that you were in while you were recording. You just think any, so it was a lot of stuff we had to really uh, focus on and uh, just trying to make sure everybody sounded right. Yeah. You know, and our whole mission was like, we don't want this to just sound like it was made in prison, even though it was yeah. made in prison. You know, we wanted to sound like every other podcast that's, that's up there. Yeah, that was our goal. We never wanted anyone to say, oh, your hustle is good for a prison podcast. We just wanted people to say, you know, this is this is a good product or a good 
you know, story. So we pay attention to the mic levels. Yes. <laughs> what was what was the original pitch? Like, what did you say about it? In we, uh, I wish I knew that by heart. Uh, well, part of it was we were going to bring the everyday stories of right. life inside, told from the perspective of those who lived it. That was our our elevate our like you know thirty pitch. word elevator pitch. Um, but the idea, but. It, the idea has not changed all that much. It really is to tell the everyday stories, the small things that are overlooked, the um, things that that happen that add up to something larger. Right. So, you know, we never really tell crime stories. We, we of course, talk about the, the prison system, but it really is about, until Erlon got out, it really was about what happened to you once you realized your life was going to be in prison. And how are you going to make it, you know, how are you going to survive this and what things are going to be interesting and confusing and frightening? Um, you know, we tried to get away from all the stereotypical kinds of stories. And like, for example, in the, in the podcast, sound wise, you would never hear a door. Ka-chunk. Ka-chunk. Never, never. <laughs> you know, or yeah. if there were images, like you're never going to see right. barbed wire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They always have an out of focus image of barbed wire that then comes into focus oh, corniest, that. corniest local news <laughs> thing oh yes. my god yeah <laughs> so you would never see that visually or an Those oral the comparison Those to that yeah yes. oh god you know when you write about technology and you see uh technology which is you know part of what a big chunk of my life has been it's always like you know they say computer something and then they show some like lights red lights blinking you know what i mean you go what are those lights where are they even finding those lights now my Mac doesn't have a single red light on it, you know? Um, it's like international cliche for computers. Yeah. I I I want to talk a little bit about the reception uh, to the show. Um, I, first, let's talk about what happened on the inside when the show started to come out. And I, I mean, my, I, forgive me, I didn't go back and look this up. I remember it just getting popular right away. Um, Almost maybe not the first episode, but like pretty much right away, lots of listeners, um, lots of people really interested in the show. Um, did did people inside San Quentin know that this was getting big like this? Did it? What happened? I would I would say I would say thanks to the help, definitely of uh, PRX and all the podcasts that's in the Radiotopia network because they all did an episode that was dedicated or predicated on time. And um, so that was like basically introducing us to the podcast world. And um, I think from there, once we, our intentions was to air it inside, of course, first, but you have to go through a lot of different complications Mm -hmm. to do that. So people on the outside heard it first. And so we had guys, family members, Hey man, is that ear hustle in there with y'all? And, you know, having that conversation. So we yeah. start, you know, we start getting people coming up and pitching stories to us because they kids or their yeah. family members were hearing um, the episodes. Yeah, it definitely got more popular outside first, which was a surprise. But I love that when I would walk into the prison and go down to the media lab and guys would stop me and say, you know, my daughter listens to your hustle. Last time I talked to her on the phone, she said, you've got to hear this. It's really great. And you know, it's helping me understand more about your life. And I get all my friends to listen to it. And that was so, I mean, that almost, almost makes me teary. It was really touching because one of the things we wanted Ear Hustle to do was to connect people. And that was just really tangible proof that it was um, certainly to hear people who are in prison talk about their families really caring about it. You know, 
made made us feel really good. Um, and then as it got more popular on the outside, um, it definitely started getting more attention inside. And I think it took about, as Erlon said, originally our goal was to play it just inside the prison. And then my dream was to play it in all the prisons inside the California Department of Corrections. That took two, a little bit longer, at least a year. So we would to get played in all the prisons. Yeah, but um, I think to get inside of San Quentin, we were making sure that they were able to hear our episodes on the closed circuit uh, uh, TV station because we we worked there. That's where our job was at in the media center. So, but the question about how quickly it became popular, this is just always kind of a funny story. As I, as we've said, we didn't know a lot about podcasts and we were told that if it got 20,000 downloads, that would be a hugely successful podcast. And like 1% of podcasts get that much. And Erlon said, Oh, we'll get a million soon. And our, our producer, Julie Shapiro was like, I don't want to tell him that's probably not going to happen. But then within how it was one like month. one month, we hit a million downloads. 1.5 million downloads. <laughs> and it was like, oh, clairvoyant. Was yeah, like, you're like, I told you. I, I had it was <laughs> in the bag the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, never, I think, never doubt Erlon. No, I, I, think, I think the most part, I think in my mindset, I was knowing that I know in America, there's 2 million people in prison. You know, and probably more in jails and stuff like that. And that's just in America. That's not around the world, you mm-hmm. know. So I knew it would resonate with somebody because yeah. somebody knew somebody that was going through this. Yeah. Or and somebody, you know, hearing something that they've never heard before. And the thing is, I mean, we would have done this regardless. We didn't start because we thought we were going to make a popular podcast. We started a project that we just really cared about and could stand behind. And so the popularity and the reach is just, you know, icing on the cake. Um, and of course it's, it's helpful, but we would have done it regardless. And I think any art project or any project that you do, you have to start from that premise that you just really care about what you're trying to get out there, um, and do it with integrity, um, and not do it because you're going to try to get X amount of downloads or I, I don't know. I mean, I just think that's a, that's not a, it's kind of an icky way to start. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Project. But well, it's I nice. know when I was on the inside, I used to love to see them download numbers. Yes. I was like really on that because to me, so inside, you can't see that. You don't see it. You know what I'm saying? It's like podcast is technically not on TV. It's, yeah. You know, so you don't see what 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 happens. So Nigel used to always bring in like the, the numbers that was being downloaded because that was like my way of seeing, yeah. you know, what we were doing. You know, even though I used to hear about it and the tours that used to come through the prison, they would talk about it or the letters that I received from whether it was um, high schools, colleges, uh, law enforcement, judges. I mean, a lot of people, other prisons, you know, so I knew that it was really resonating with people. Was there a particular um, episode or even story within an episode that... um started to really drive that like kind of people going, Hey, listen to this, listen to this episode. Or was it really just literally everything about that you were doing um, on the podcast? I, I would say, I think it was. So I know when we first came out, one of our things was like, well, how can we, you know, do a story that everybody can understand or everybody can, you know, really that or I don't say that resonates with people. And the one thing that that was the easiest was um, selling up with people because people have roommates, whether it's family members, whether it's friends, whether it's strangers, um, people could understand that. And people probably going to have pretty much the same experiences. Mm-hmm. It's just differently and it's smaller. 
And that was the third episode? That was our first episode. Oh, first episode. That was oh, First episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I... <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, it's going to make us sound arrogant, but I think it got like people were were liking it pretty early on. So I don't know if I can come up with one, but I can come up with some that were that really resonated with people. I think the first one that um, really showed me that this is going to be something to de- to deal with was Left Behind. Mm. About, because Erlon for a long time wanted to do a story about three strikes because he was a three striker. And we kept talking about like, how are we going to tell that story without just talking about the law and, and the process? And we were looking for the right person to tell the story. And we found this, this Curtis Roberts, um, who was the main character. Uh, we talked about his story about getting his third strike for stealing $40. And that was part of the story. But the rest of the story was about him connecting serendipitously with his daughter that he hadn't seen in 20 years. And that story got so much attention and it really did what we wanted to do, which was to talk about three strikes in an artful storytelling way. And we still get people writing to us about that story. Yeah. And they still can't believe that law is still on the books. I know. I know. <laughs> Up until 2022, we'd be He's working on it. I'm definitely working. Were there any stories where, the two audiences for this show, people on the inside and people on the outside, where you felt like you you couldn't tell the same story to both audiences. Hmm. Oh my God, are you going to stump us? I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I think, so the one, one story that was, was, was one of the, um, what was the one we did? Um, that got all the everybody was writing in comments. Oh, oh. So that's I, yes. um, so sorry forgive means me nothing. if I forget the story. It was called Sorry Means Nothing. Sorry means nothing. And it was a story forever I've wanted to do a story about sex offenders. And really hard topic to do for so many reasons. And definitely hard to do inside prison. And so we we did that last last season. Um and it dealt with two people who are inside prison who are serving time for sex crimes and then somebody on the outside who was married to a person who did time for a sex crime. And we really had to think carefully about how do we how do we even do the story inside without getting anybody put in a dangerous situation and and how because the topic is such a hot button topic, how do we do it so that people are actually going to listen to it and not get turned off really quickly? Um, and I think actually we didn't end up playing that one inside. Um, we decided not to. Yeah. And it's the only story where we had to change people's voices and change their names, everybody that was in it, which unfortunately I didn't want to do, but for people's safety. And, you know, on, in, on a creative part of that, it was so interesting trying to figure out how to change people's voices because by changing the pitch of the voice, in some ways you're editorializing and you can make them sound way creepier and stranger. So just figuring out how to do that and make them sound um, not computerized and not any different than they were was a real, I think, oof, a real sound challenge. And I think we did okay with it. But that was one that uh, I think we struggled with in terms of how to do it inside and how to play it outside. So I want to talk about uh, a, a good <laughs> a good day, uh, which was when Erlon got out. Ooh, um, great day, man! <laughs> and I, I, I want to ask a question that I, when I, I wrote it out because I, I really wanted to to ask it, but then when I thought about it, I was like, "Man, that's ridiculous! 
but I'm going to ask it anyway, um, which was, did you worry that it would mess with your creative collaboration? Or was it just like, here's getting, here's getting out and here's creative collaboration. And so I'll give you the perfect answer for this. I'll let Nigel answer that one. For me, I was good. I'm gonna let Nigel answer that one. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'll answer it honestly. Yeah, I was, I had concerns. I definitely had concerns, not because I didn't want, it's hard to talk about, but not because I didn't want him to get out, but um, we had started this. I, I don't like change. I think change is really difficult. And we had started this in a specific way. It was going really well. Um, and I didn't know how that would translate when he got out. I didn't know how we would necessarily work together. But I also, honest to God, did not know if he'd want to do it anymore. Like he had spent more than half of his life in prison. When he got out, maybe that this is the furthest thing he wanted to, or this he wanted to be further away from prison than he could, you know. And so why would you want to keep doing stories about that life? And I wanted to give him time to figure it out. At the same time, I was super anxious and I wanted us to just to dive in and keep working. Um, you know, I this has completely changed my life and I see this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, but I don't want to do it with anyone else but Erlon. So it's it was like negotiating in any kind of relationship, like you can't hold on too tightly but you don't want to push somebody away. So that's how I felt about it. But see, didn't I get you a bum answer out of that? See, I wouldn't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have did that good on that answer. <laughs> you did. You did. Thank you. You see what I'm saying? Thank you. Indeed. Indeed. Um, I, well, and you know, my, uh, it does seem like when yeah, I've in my work, you know, I've run into a few people who've gotten out and it does seem like people take kind of two paths, right? It, like they're either trying to get as far away from talking about prison or there's there a lot of people I've run into, you know, have been people I've written about doing like prison reform things and stuff like that. Uh, and, and they're going deeper and deeper into like, you know, maybe not into prison, but into like the system of incarceration and, and trying to work on that. Did you know? I think that I think that's when you get that aha moment. You know what I'm saying, and that's why you go back in. That's why you continue to um, um, help and assist and try to change stuff. But what was your question? Oh, I was I was just gonna ask. Did you know before you got out that you would want to keep talking about? Oh, yeah, that? yeah. No, so so you know, it was a trip early on. You know, it, it wasn't about us. It's never been about me. Like the podcast, it's never been about me. It's never been about one person. It's, it's bigger than us. So um, it created opportunities, you know, uh, upon my release. It, 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 you know, I was hired on uh, full time. It, it did a lot. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, I wanted to continue to um, help support the podcast and and figure out how we would um, do the outside stories. But, yeah, I definitely wanted to uh, there was no part of you that was like, I just want to go to Southern California. No, no. Nah, nah, so it's a trip. So, I mean, I, I still go to Southern California, yeah, you know true. what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's, it was, it was more of, um, you know, I think we, again, we were able to create something that's beautiful. Um, it's so many, so many stories um, to bring to individuals, you know, and it's like, like Nigel say, you know, you, I found something that I wasn't even anticipating would be a career for me you know what i'm saying and and so i'm I'm definitely in it for the long haul thank god <laughs> oh, oh and let me just say this let me say this i think i, I touched on it a little bit earlier but I, I would say this again once once in once you have individuals that's that's in prison and they that light switch go off and they life change and you know they're trying to be productive individuals of course 
um, when you get out, you just want to help other individuals that's in your position. It's like anytime I walk into a prison, I already know that the individuals there are basically inspired because I'm walking in there or any, not just me, any formerly incarcerated individual. When you go back into those prisons and, and have those conversations, it's, it's a different, it's a different um, appreciation. Can I ask him a question about that? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, I do wonder, do you ever feel pressured by that, that people really want expect a lot from you when you go back inside? Um, oh, so when I go back inside, of course, it's, 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 everybody's going to be right there. It's like, I'll be Barack Obama walking into <laughs> the prison, you know, <laughs> that's what my brother used to call me. Look at Barack Obama, you know, but, um, uh, you know, uh, I think out in society, more people pull at you for different things. Yeah. You know, a lot of organizations pull at you and, you know, of course you want to say yes to everything that can help the next person. But then at times you feel yourself like, Oh, I need some personal, yeah. some personal space. I need some self care. I need some, all that, you know, I need to go unpack somewhere. It's getting tough. It's getting rough. So I, I one thing I always tell individuals that's getting out, like, Hey, don't let them pull you in all different directions, man. You ain't going to be able to keep up because they, they would definitely run you raggedy out here. Raggedy. <laughs> <Seriously. Raggly. laughs> these are these are regular times that is for sure regular times <laughs> um i i uh i pulled one clip which i i do want to play um uh it's actually from the episode about lockdowns um so you you kind of know where we're headed here uh you know you kind of recorded a few years ago rebroadcasted this year for obvious reasons um, but first, before we listen to the clip, I think people need to know what a lockdown is um, in the prison context. A lockdown is when there is no movement, none. You're stuck in your cell. It could be up to 72 hours, you know, um, until there's time to shower. They would bring you everything to you. They bring your breakfast to you and they give you lunch at that time, bring you dinner. Um, and you're on, like I said, you're only technically I would say allow, but you're permitted to shower every 72 hours when you're in a lockdown situation. So you're, you're 24 hours in your cell. But what I just want to clarify, it can go on for months. It can go Not on just for years, hours, it can go on for months, years. years. Yes. Um, and, and, and it's just like, it's a trip, you know, uh, the resilience of the human spirit is just, you just learn to adapt to the situation. Yeah. And that's all I can say because you got people that's been in solitary confinement for like forty some years. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, it's a yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's actually I, I feel like this clip speaks so directly. To, I even have how resilient people are. That's why I wanted to hear this clip. So um, if you could play that clip, uh, that that would be great. We could listen to it. Marcelli, you know, he had two sweatshirts. This is Jay, the guy with the soupy salad. And he's been through a lot of lockdowns with various cellies. But the cellie with the sweatshirts, he was memorable. So he would take one sweatshirt and wear it like a sweatshirt. And he would take the other sweatshirt and wear it like pants, you know, just to keep warm, right? So he had, he had that on one day. <laughs> and he, he had these, these flip-flops, these shower shoes. And... The, the little piece where your toes go in, it kept coming out. It kept coming out. So he kept fixing it the whole day, right? <laughs> he kept fixing it. So he was standing at the door, and flip-flop came out again, and he just looked at it, 
And then he looked up to the ceiling and said, God, please. (laughs) (laughs) And I just just fell out laughing, man. I just fell out laughing because because it, it... you know, it felt like at that particular time we needed some divine intervention. <laughs> the reason I chose that clip is it, it just feels like it is like the, a, a classic moment. I mean, it couldn't be more everyday, right? right. The everyday stories inside prison. Literally nothing happens. Like his... His, you know, his his sandal, his little thong piece on his sandal keeps breaking. And what, but, but what's so special about it in my mind is just the way that that story connects with everyone who's in that room. Yeah, right? that was Antoine Williams. I, I, I recognize Antoine's laugh. Yeah, that was yeah. him getting him. Yeah, everyone's just busting up laughing. And, and dude, we're talking about lockdowns. This is a hard, hard, hard thing, you know? I mean, sometimes it'd be so painful. All you can do is laugh yeah. because it's going to be some funny that happened. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's always going to be funny in prison. Um, and also, I'm glad I'm glad that you brought that up, because one of the things we really do is use a lot of humor in the podcast. And at the beginning, that was one thing that we got a little bit of criticism about, that we were using humor. And it seems so ridiculous to me, because obviously, I think anyone who would have that criticism has never spent time. Well, I don't know where they've been spending their time, but they had obviously never been in prison because there's a lot of there's a lot of humor in there. And in some ways, we thought of it as a political act to use humor and to show that life inside is as varied and as emotionally complicated as life outside. And humor is a big part of, of survival mechanism or just everyday life. And so um, during difficult times. Um, I often think about the humor that we find in the podcast and that particular clip. I'm so delighted that that's the one you chose because it is such a small thing, but oh, so irritating to have that little song break (laughs) and and then feel the laugh at it. Thank God. Or you'd lose your mind. Well, it just, it just reminds you that people are, are, are just so humans, right? You're just like, you're like, you're in prison, you're in lockdown, spend all this time and the sandals (laughs) like, come on, you know, Sandals. And, 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 and um, they some cheap sandals. They like some. Yeah. They like at least they have a dollar, right? So that always happened, you know. People, yeah. Yeah. And I and, and I, I'm glad you said that's that's kind of yeah. You think about that in your life because I I have wondered just how much seeing how resilient people can be. You know, you're you know you're going through you know life on the outside. And you're like, you're stuck in traffic, you know? And then you're like, yeah, but I can drive and I can get on the freeway anytime I want and I can go anywhere I want. And, you know, did that, I don't know. It feels like that would like build equanimity. Yeah, well, I I will bring up the traffic thing. I remember I hadn't been going into prison for very long and I was still teaching at that point inside. And I said to one student about, oh, I was in traffic for like an hour getting home. And he just kind of looked up wistfully and said, oh, to be sitting in traffic. And like, that's all he had to say. And he wasn't like admonishing me. He was really like having this moment of reverie of what, what it's like to be sitting in traffic. And I have rarely complained about traffic since. And that was probably, you know, eight years ago. <laughs> so I, I, mean, when you, I say this, when you're inside, um, that's the one thing an individual love, just want to get into is traffic or just drive yeah. or 
um, like the transportation episodes, you know, I know oh, I, so good. And I stay on the road. Like I don't mind driving yeah. from here to LA and back all the time. Like this, <laughs> I mean, it's peaceful for me, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that moment in that, in that episode where you're, uh, you're basically describing looking out of like one of the bus transports and going like, Oh, I wish I could drive. But then knowing that you were on the outside driving, then instantly you get that, you get that deep emotional sadness for you. But then you're like, Hey, but he got out, he's driving right now. You know, um, that was such a nice moment in the, in the run of the podcast. Yeah. One of the great things with Earl on being out now is that we can travel together and we have driven to Southern California quite a few times and it's great. He loves to drive. I get to sit there. Um, and I know he's happy and I'm happy and <laughs> it's great. I just like in the show. Now I want to talk about something dark though. Um, that's been going on, uh, inside the, the prisons. Um, you know, I've been working on COVID tracking in my work. And one of the things that, um, we've been glad that the Marshall project has been tracking COVID on the, on the inside, um, 200,000 cases, uh, 1500, uh, people that we know confirmed uh deaths from from covid in, in prisons around the country um and there's been prisons where basically everybody has gotten it like you know every person who's incarcerated um has, has gotten it um and san quentin was really hit particularly hard can you just you know tell us a little more about you know not even about the show but just like from what you're hearing from people you know inside san quentin like what what happened there and why like just I don't even know what to ask about it. It's just so sad. And I just want to know more. Well, I I would say like, so San Quentin is, is an old prison. So it's like an open prison. There's no, um, it's, I mean, you have cells, but the front of the cells are just bars. So it's open to the people on the, on the um, tier. And if you get something like COVID in a place like that, it's going to, it's going to travel to everybody. Like, immediately because it's so open, you know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, uh, during COVID it's, it's a sad situation because you have cats that what it's been like seven months now, mm -hmm. they haven't been, you know, afforded visiting or, you know, being able to see anybody haven't been going to their self-help groups. They haven't, it's a lot of stuff that's, that's just stopped, ceased, you know, and, you know, just talking to them daily. It's like, man, this is crazy. But again, individuals build that, that's that resilience, you know, you, yeah. you deal with it. But it's, it's actually been eight months. It was March 17th, I think, is when mm -hmm. they shut down there. Um, yeah, it's been obviously really upsetting. And, um, you know, I, I, I really can't have contact with the guys inside. I, I can't really go. I can't go in. Um, every once in a while, I could. New York uh, is our other co-host inside. Every once in a while, he calls and I can talk to him. But it's really when I feel the separation and I feel so powerless to do to do anything. But like when I do get to talk to New York, he's always so positive. Like he always wants, hey, what's up, Nigel? What's going on out there? Tell me everything. And and like he's just so hungry for information from the outside. And he never complains about what's happening for, for him. Um, but, you know, I, we're going to be doing a story about COVID later in our season. But, you know, people were really inventing ways to take care of themselves. They had to. Yeah, it was it was deep, you know. And then the crazy part, you had some prisons that didn't even really get COVID like that, you know. Um, but for San Quentin, it just it hit, and I think it's I think it's going to their second. What is it, third wave now? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they get a case here, a case there, and then that's that's big. You shutting it all down. Yeah, and I have no idea when we're going to be going back in again. I mean, it certainly won't be before there's a, a vaccine that actually does something. So that's really hard. I mean, we miss the people we work with and the people that we care about in there. Yeah, I mean, gosh, uh, never, never does the uh, the gulf feel wider. Ever, right? Never. The longest in the in the all the time I've been going in since 2011, the longest I went without being able to go in was three weeks. And Erlon was in there. There was a three week, an 18 day lockdown. I never imagined that it would be, you know, months and months without being able to go in. Let's let's move on to slightly happier uh, subject as we as we uh, move towards audience questions here. Um, I am really curious what happens next for for Ear Hustle. I mean, do I see TV? Do I see a Netflix show? What what is going to happen in the beautiful vaccinated world of 2021? Uh, well, I mean, oh, book. We have a book. Book coming book out coming next out. year. Mm-hmm. Um, we we would love to work on another. We would like to work on something um, that's not a podcast. I mean, my fantasy has always been an animation of our stories. I think would be really beautiful. Um, we've been. I'm already a Lego. He's already a Lego, a Lego, right? Figure. He's a Lego. He became a Lego. Not an official Lego, but a Lego, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, we've been approached often about how to turn this into a series yeah. or something. The question is how to do it, like how to do it right, and that, that's a real challenge. So we haven't, like, um, we've said no to a lot of things, but I think we're getting to the stage now that Erlon's out and really settled that we want to start exploring that. So uh, we can't say that there's anything in the works, but hopefully. But I- I'll say, you know, um, you may hear you may hear some younger people on Ear Hustle in the future. Oh, yeah. We're going younger. Talking to juveniles. Yeah. 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 I actually have to admit, I, I, I couldn't listen to your episode about kids. I got I got two minutes in. I was like, nope, no, nope, can't do it. That, do it's it. so interesting. My sister can't listen to it either. And I, I just want to tell you, it's it's not as hard as. It's it's in some ways very uplifting, but I was yeah okay. Yeah, I, I think I New York that. New York response to us yeah. from that episode was like, man, I thought all them kids was talking to me, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, so I didn't think that one was going to be as hard for people as it was. Yeah, I just think, you know, I, I I'm not someone who I, I don't plan on going to prison anytime soon, but I also feel like, you know these things can happen to all of us. Right. And, and imagining my kids in, in that situation was, um, it was, it was honestly just too much for me. <laughs> I just was like, nope. Um, and, and yeah. Um, let's take some audience questions. Um, we got, we got some good ones here. Um, first one, this is, this is interesting. You're both incredible storytellers. I assume they're talking about you two. Oh, okay. How do you develop stories? We usually have a process uh, towards the end of the season um, where we'll sit down and we'll just throw out a gang of ideas that we've been having um, at each other and give a, a brief pitch about what that ideal is. And if it works, we'll write it on the board and mm-hmm. go from there. But the most important thing from my perspective is you have to find a good storyteller. So we could come up with a topic. But if we can't find somebody who is really interesting and engaging, then the story doesn't work. So in in the oral world, it is about the voice and how pers- a person tells a story. We, I, one thing I've noticed is working on this book is we can take stories that don't work in sound and make it work on 
paper because it's not as reliant on that. But if the person cannot engage with the microphone and by extension engage with us, then we can't develop the story. So it's finding the, the it's terrible. We called them the mule. <laughs> finding the mule. Finding the mule. It's That's terrible. We probably this. have to change that. But um, yeah, we got to find the right storyteller. Find the quarterback. Now. Yeah, co- the quarterback or the pixie. There you, you have to find the pixie. There you go. Yeah. Well, there should be the running back. The running right? back. Everyone yeah. carrying the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, 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 it, and it has to be, this is kind of funny, it has to be a simple story that has a lot of layers to it. Do I mean, like, yeah, it it's has a simple to, moment. A simple moment that runs deep. Yeah. Um, next audience question uh, brings up somebody that we came, came up a little earlier that I should ask more about. Uh, it's Lieutenant Robinson. Velvet So voice. that is the, right, that's the public information officer from California Department of Corrections. It's in charge of San Quentin and has to approve things. And the question is, um, did Lieutenant Robinson ever veto stories or particular things remember this almost no so it wasn't it wasn't that he vetoed it it was that we were doing a story about um the hunger strike we were doing the stories about the shoe and one of the guys in the shoe stated that four individuals died based on the hunger strike and being that four individuals probably did die the I think the reason, but that wasn't on to, their death certificate, or either that wasn't yeah. already had to be investigated. Did they die based on complications from that? Yeah. So once that was said, it was like, okay, we don't really need that part no. to convey what we're trying to convey, you know. But the question is, if he's ever told us no, no, he hasn't. Um, uh, he is he's super supportive and he's looking for things that are, as he would say, that would cause, what, what is it, safety and security the, of the institution? The safety and security of the institution as well as the public. But that being said, we know what stories we can't tell. So I don't want to act like we don't censor ourselves. We we know what we can and can't do and what we can push the envelope on and what we can't. And for me- Like what? Like what's one of those? I think doing stuff about gangs is like, really difficult. Yeah, because you could put somebody in, 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 in jeopardy if they yeah. say something they ain't supposed to be saying or something that's looked at maybe by their, their own gang as, as being violent, you know, yeah. violating their code. Um, stuff about the underground economy in prison. All that stuff, you know. You know, that, know. that would get people upset. So um, more than, than Lieutenant Robinson, I mean, I think we, we, we stay with the stories we know we can tell. I don't and, see it as censorship. I see it as being smart. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it, it, this, is, this is when politics come yeah. into play. Um, and, and you definitely don't want to do anything that would be injurious towards people inside just for telling a story, yeah. you know? And if it's something that um, is like people want to know, like, how do you get drugs in prison and all that? Okay, they, the media, they can find that out in the media. Yeah. I actually feel like you guys are the antidote to all that. I mean, that's all people want to know about most prison things. You know what I mean? I, I actually, to me, that's like just the glory of the thing, right? It's like everybody's always asking all these questions about like how how prison life is different how people in prison are different from people outside and i feel like so many of your stories are like no actually these are people in this inside this system you know but there are people doing i mean i could just i could say like people in prison do 39 mile walks for breast cancer people probably don't know that yeah but they do people in prison do the walks along with volunteers from the society 
for two days, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. people don't see that side, you know? So. Oh, ooh, that's a good one. Really? That's a good I, well, I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> start some start some stuff here. Have you two had disagreements over how a story should be covered or how an individual should be portrayed? Let's think for a second. Hmm. I know silence is not good in these situations. No, it's no, not. Just don't, 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 okay. don't worry. Okay. Room tone. Okay. Room tone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we had any... We don't... I'm trying to think if we've had heavy disagreements. We don't really. Did we have disagreements when we did the the sex offender story um i don't think so no i think i don't i don't think no because see i learned early on don't get married to too much of that oh yeah and what do you mean like i i you know okay if it don't fit it don't fit all right i ain't i'm not now if i feel strongly yes i'm going to convey my point nigel's going to convey her point if she feels strongly about certain things but i learned early on that um it's good to listen to the editors. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think in, the only thing I can think about is I want to go back to that three strikes story. I know that Erlon really wanted to do a, a story about three strikes. And I remember being very adamant that we have to have a story. It can't just be about how bad three strikes is. So that's the only thing I can think that we talked a lot about. But honestly, we, we, we get along really well. Sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a cool dude, so I don't. You know, I mean, I'm. You know, <laughs> he is pretty easy to get along just, with. You know, I, was, I mean, Nigel's pretty cool too, thank right? You, thank I, you. Yeah. Nigel's yeah. cool. Nigel's very cool. That's my partner. Uh, cool I've been wanting to call her Nigel the whole time. It's Nigel. I figure I should. Hell it, that's yeah. Nigel. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I have wondered. You know, one of the things that it feels like a quite deliberate decision um, is to not dwell on what happened before we sort of encounter someone in a podcast. Like if it's necessary to tell the story, then you guys will do that. But in a lot of other prison media or, you know, just, just mainstream media about people who are incarcerated, it's just sort of like, you've got to have like a paragraph about, you know, the, the, the person's history and the crime they committed and how that and how, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, it seems like pretty early on, you made a decision to not do that. It was one of our rules was that we were not going to talk about people's crimes unless it was relevant to the story. And I remember arguing with our editor, who I love, but he wanted us to always put in crimes. And I just remember saying to him, like, it doesn't it doesn't matter. He said, well, people are curious. And I was like, well, people might be curious, but it doesn't mean that they need to have an answer. And we've stuck by that. And I'm really so happy that we did because um, it's a hallmark of what we do. And as you said, like, you don't you don't. If it's relevant, yes, but if it's not, it, it just it's it's gratuitous and it is giving in to um that I guess that curiosity that I don't think needs to always be satisfied. Well it's kinda of gross, yeah, gross. Right. I mean this is kind of what I mean about like um the show choosing actively not to exploit people who are incarcerated. I mean, I I think every other show privileges people who are just or, or you know media thing tends to privilege people who are on the outside who just are kind of like yeah but i just would like to know about the worst thing this person ever did just before i hear him talk about um you know doritos yeah and you're right. like no just let him talk about doritos exactly exactly you know um yeah. um maybe one last audience question here um this is interesting i i, I wonder how you respond to this Alan. um it says knowing what you've been through how would you suggest we can help youth at risk Ooh, start talking to them, you know, finding out what's going on in their lives. You know, I think, um, I think it's really, 
especially me growing up, I mean, you know, we had, we had a, a lot of um, programs like sport programs and there was a lot of things in there. A lot of stuff did get cut out, but I think it's just basically having a relationship with the kids and just being an open ear, you know, um, that's, that's all most kids want to, you know, is be heard, you know, and support them. I think yeah. that's the, that's the best thing you can do is, you know, be a big brother, be a mentor, be a big sister, you know, mm-hmm. it's just yeah. because we see it. I mean, you see the kids that sometimes are going in that direction, you know, and, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's easy as conversations, continuous conversations, you know, and sometimes it's not that easy. Last question here from the, the audience. Can you give us a sneak preview uh what's coming up? I know we got a COVID episode coming up, but what else is coming up on the podcast? It's hot, very hot. Yes, we're doing a we're doing a story about um can we say people who are firefighters that have been incarcerated and when they get oh, out. It's such a good idea. We're we're Definitely. really excited and we got to travel to do this story. So yeah, we went down to um Southern Cal. Yeah. Hung out on the beach. And, um, the beach. Oh yeah, we did go to the beach. Yeah, got gotcha. Is that where the firefighters were? The fires <laughs> no, on the they beach. Were all, they were all there <laughs> they just roasted some marshmallows <laughs> yeah. on the beach. But we wanted to do the story for a long time because yeah. a couple of seasons ago we did a story about jobs in prison and we interviewed a guy who was uh, a firefighter while he was incarcerated. But these are people who have finished their sentence, um, and we did like training with them. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. it was it's pretty great. Was so cool. that's that's an upcoming one. Then this we have one about COVID. Yeah, it's definitely a, a a good program out there and and. You know, our our friends over at uh, Anti-Recidivism Coalition, they they really they really put that one together. Yes. And w- I guess one thing that's been nice about Your Hustle getting more reach is that it's it's gotten easier for us to, to work with other programs like the one he the, the What is it? The ARC. ARC um, was happy or was it was hosted us and let us come and do the story, which was really great. Um, and we would like to do more stories about other programs and, and also going into other prisons, which is something that seems to be. Uh, a little bit easier now. So we only have three episodes left for this season, and then we'll be back in March, March 4th with season seven, and we'll start working on that basically as soon as we finish this season. I really look forward to hearing the firefighter one only because I feel like we've heard a, a lot of, you know, indignation about that from Lots of people. We heard lots of things, but I haven't heard anybody talk to one of the people who's doing the firefighting. I, I'm so glad you said that because, yes, it, it's going to be very good to hear what they think about their job. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Because it's I've heard so much about this happening, but not not from these people. And, you know, just such a perfect example of the just the, the hole that you fill in the world's understanding. And thank you so much for just all that you've done and I mean, just everything I've learned from you and you've taught the world. Um, we, we really, we're in your debt. Thank you yeah, so thank much. You. Hold on, hold so- on. I got to give a shout out before we go. Okay. I got to give one to Julie Shapiro, oh, which yeah. is our executive producer. Yes. Radio uh, Amy Standin, which is mm-hmm. one of our editors, Bruce Wallace, yeah, Amy. Amy's Amy awesome. Standin, Bruce Wallace. Wallace. Uh, Antoine Williams, Williams, Rasan New York Thomas, John Yaya Johnson, John Yaya Johnson, Rashid Cinnamon, mm-hmm. Shabnan. Oh Shabnan. yes, Shabnan, our new yes, we have she's, a new we have a, someone we just hired. Team. Yep, so we have a really great team. Um, and our whole um, Radio Topia and Radio Topia PRX. PRX that uh, we couldn't do it without them. So definitely, that's 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 who that's who believed in us. Yes, yes, that's who believed <laughs> this was so fun. Thank you. You've been listening to Ear Hustle's Erlon Woods and Nigel Poor in conversation with Alexis Madrigal. This program was recorded on November 19th, 
2020. The three spoke to one another via video conference. These broadcasts are produced by City Arts and Lectures in association with KQED Public Radio, San Francisco. Executive producers are Kate goldstein Breyer and Holly Mulder-Wallen. Director of Communications and Design is Alexandra Washkin. Production and Communications Assistant is Juliette Gelfman-Rendazzo. The Post-Production Director is Nina Thorson. The Sydney Goldstein Theatre Technical Director, Steve Eckerd. House Manager, Lucy Faulkner. The Recording Engineer is Jim Bennett. Theme music composed and performed by Pat Gleason. The founding producer is Sidney Goldstein. City Arts and Lectures programs are supported by grants for the arts of the San Francisco Hotel Tax Fund. Additional funding provided by the Wallace Alexander Gerbodi Foundation, the Mimi and Peter Hawes Fund, the Bernard Osher Foundation, and the Friends of City Arts and Lectures. Support for recording and post-production of City Arts and Lectures is provided by Robert Mailer Anderson and Nicola Miner. To attend a live program, see who is coming next, or find out more about our podcast, visit our website at cityarts.net. That's cityarts.net. Special thanks to Anne Oyama for making our programs possible as we shelter in place at home. Thank you.